somewhere there's got to be some sort of screw loose in any um, decent business owner's brain, um, even small business. Um, there has to be a screw loose somewhere. I'm convinced. Welcome back, everybody, to the Con Expo Con Egg podcast that is very proudly brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. They have been massive supporters of both the podcast and the show, and I cannot wait to see what they have in store for this year's display. With that being said, I cannot wait to chat to today's guest. He is from the land down under, and no, he doesn't own a coffee brand. Ladies and gents, Mr. Jimmy Starbuck. Jimmy, how's it going? That's good. You've worked on that, actually. I've, I've been reciting that for the past 15 minutes. That's very good. I was impressed. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man. Um, obviously, it's Thursday afternoon here. It's Friday morning where you are. Um, so you're just getting your day started. You're getting some coffee into you? Yes, I am. Well, actually, the second coffee of life because it's 8 o'clock and work's already rocking and rolling. Yeah, I know. And I, I understand it, it being the morning, obviously having a construction company too, not as large as you, obviously, but your mornings are always kind of like a boom, 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 boom. And for us, bad stuff normally happens on Friday. So hopefully that doesn't happen today. Well, the bad shit usually happens by 10 a.m. <laughs> Let's be honest. I to- totally agree. Um, people that don't know, I mean, obviously I've seen you for years on social media. Basically, you know, my dad actually was the one, I think he listened to you on another podcast. And he's like, like, this was a year and a half ago. And he goes, you got to listen to this Jimmy Starbuck guy. He's from Australia and he's young. You know, he's like, you. he's young. And uh, I got onto it. And that's whenever I started getting on to you and, and what you have going on. But for the people at home that don't know, who is Jimmy Starbuck and, and what do you do? Well, I'm Jimmy Starbuck and uh, we dig holes, trucks, and that's about it. So different over here than over there like you guys need to take on a lot of utilities and a lot of different sort of shoring works in your excavation contracts but i specifically only deal with it and i specifically only truck it compact it dig it out of the ground just keep it simple stupid so there's enough work to just dig dirt oh yeah there's plenty of work there um and truck the dirt like we probably truck a few hundred thousand cubic yards a month sort of thing Maybe sometimes more. Maybe sometimes we're trucking a few hundred thousand cubic yards of mud, which is annoying. Oh, wait, you're Canadian. I can speak in meters. We truck a quarter of a million meters, 300,000 meters a month. And then we also take it out and to the new subdivisions and that sort of stuff and build up the ground, build, or and dig it down and change the levels and stuff like that. So mass grading, you call it over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mass grading, mass excavation. That's you. Big machinery. Now, is it mainly large stuff or small stuff? No. So it's not big machinery necessarily because what we're actually chasing is the trucking. There's not much point in loading on-road trucks with a 90. You don't need it. It's an overkill. You know, whether you load it in one bucket or two buckets, it doesn't really matter. So we mainly use around the 35, 40 ton to load the trucks. But then we run into the other issues of a lot of the jobs are in the cities. So then you need the permits to get the bigger machines in, but you don't need the permits to take a 20 to 25 ton in. So then we have a lot of them that we use as well. Still can load a truck as quickly as you want because if you're only doing five loads a day out of the city, you know, how many trucks you possibly line up to get loaded? Yeah. When you say that, that's actually interesting. So Obviously, when you have off-road trucks, I mean, production, the, the quicker you can load them, get them out of there, the better. So explain that. Why, why doesn't it matter when they're on, on-road trucks? Why doesn't it matter? 
if it's a two-hour turnaround, then the first truck takes off at seven. Let's say your work day starts at seven. Takes five minutes per truck to load it, get it in, get it loaded, get it out the gate and start loading the next one. Even if it's four minutes, you can only load 15 per hour. So if you get 30 there and you're really pumping, and let's say it takes till 8.30 to load the last one, that guy's missing out on a 10-hour workday, 15% of his work time. He's sitting waiting for that first load. Fairly easy maths to break down. Fairly big, fairly simple to understand. You don't want a guy spending 15% of his time waiting in a line to get a load. You multiply that out over the entire company and you're going to be losing money and going backwards. So you're in mass excavation and, and mass grading, but what the trucking part of it, I mean, like, what? how many trucks do you own? Like, do you do you rent out your trucks? Well, no, I'm not on that many. I only own five, but I run a um, an agency company. We run it. We call it over here or a brokerage company, I think, that you guys would be all over there. Yeah. So we run on a really busy day. We'll be up. I think our busy day this year has been 150. So 150 trucks working for us on road of different sort of combinations, whether they're trucks and dogs or you call them pubs, or you like uh, just single axles or the sort of 22 ton or up to 32 ton, 42, 60. We run all sorts of combinations. So you own five trucks yourself and then you rent 140 trucks? Some days, yeah. We average around 100 a day at work. That's wild. That's a lot, man. You do hourly? Uh, we do both. So we do either load rate or hourly. Yeah, we do something here called like a uh, ton mile, we call it. Um, so if we're hauling from the pits on rental, they'll pay us ton miles. cents per ton per mile? Yeah. Is that a well, we run sort of 10 to 20 cents per ton per mile, oh, per kilometer over here. So I assume it's somewhere around about that around the world, you know, same sort of, same sort of deal. So we, we just, instead of doing the ton per mile, we actually set the rate at a per load rate or per ton rate or per cubic meter rate at a standardized tonnage in case that you uh, no way bridges on site. Yeah. Do you do any hourly? Like, do you pay hourly or is it mostly what you pay hourly? Absolutely. The, Everyone knows the issues paying a subcontractor hourly on a, on a job that's quoted. That's another. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, like I mean, that it would be more incentive for them to go ton mile or buy the load. Yeah, listen, there's there's gas stations, service stations full of truck drivers on hourly hire all around the world. But then at the same time, there's a safety net that you can put underneath the good guys working for you that um, is that hourly hire rate. But then if you've incentivized the job enough so that they can well and truly earn above the hourly hire rate that is the standard in any sort of industry, then that means that any of the good workers, any of the hard workers really want to want that per ton per mile or per cube per mile or whatever it might be. What's it like getting, I mean, up here we have a massive shortage of dump trucks. I mean, we had light rail come into our city and big company Kiwit, you know, they came in and they, they're doing light rail, you know, billions and billions of dollar project and basically ate up all the trucks. And we've been in a dump truck boom. Everybody and their mother is buying dump trucks up here right now because it's just been a shortage for like five years. And it's even the same thing in like Toronto and other cities as well. Do you have that shortage down there? How hard is it to find if you needed 160 trucks tomorrow? How, how hard is it for that? Well, I've been going 10 years, and I think on the 100 and something plus days, we could have sent out 200. So it's the, it's the same worldwide. There's there's no availability of parts. There's no availability of drivers. 
fuel's expensive, ad blue's ridiculous, you know, and then you just run through all of these issues. But it's the same everywhere. You pay the boys well, you pay on time, you give consistent and constant work, slowly but surely, they come, they come. We started off with one truck and now we're into the hundred. Then I also own a lot of the dirt and own a lot of the places that I'm taking it. So the mass grading that you guys do is more about leveling sides. If you change that mass grading levels, that you're instead of taking a hill out here and filling up a low over here, you just filled the low with dirt that you're bringing in with your trucks. And you are the guy who has the ability to fill the low, truck the dirt internally and dig the hole and get it all to comply with the dirt proctor and everything else. That's the, that's the key to my business, the whole thing. If I broke it down into brass tacks, it's just internalizing that whole process of having the two different job sites, one that's the receival site, one's that the generating, and then you put them, um, then you run the trucking company in between and internalize all of that management. Yeah, there's stuff that runs like that up here, but I mean, I feel like you've really kind of mastered this. I mean, where did Starbucks start? Like, I mean, I feel like, I mean, we went from, hey, I'm Jimmy to, you know, some days we have 140 trucks on. That doesn't just happen overnight. How did that happen? Where, how did you get to the point that you're at now? We've got to go back a little bit further than just mate, because there's a, there's a thing that helps, right? My grandfather and my great uncle ran a very large earth moving company and trucking company in Melbourne, Australia in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And because of that, the name Starbucks was synonymous with moving dirt. They built highways, they built airport links and all sorts of stuff. They did very well. They were very big. They sold out in the 80s. Um, my father was in underground electrical and had a few machines where I learned to drive them, but still hanging around the construction sort of area and that sort of stuff. He had 30, 40 guys on, I think, at one stage or something like that. But that gave me the ability all through my life. I was driving machines from when I was, well, so when I could reach the pedals. You know, I used to drive a 955 track excavator and have to pull on the levers with two head because um, I was that little. And it's just, um, I look back on job sites that I've been on when I was sort of 10 and loading trucks that came in and out of a job in a, a drive, what we call them, or a track excavator or whatever, and just think how ridiculous it is to think that a 10-year-old could be on a job site loading trucks. So then from that, I, 19, got a three and a half ton excavator and um, it was challenging because no one wants to employ a young bloke who's roughed up. So I had a few bits and pieces of how I got around that sort of thing, went out on labor hire, you know, operator only to people. Then as more people wanted me to operate, because obviously I could drive them, I could steer the ship. So as they figured that out, you know, I've got more and more money and then more and more opportunity of that. And then there, there was a problem, not a gap in the market. And, and looking back, I could make it sound like I was real super intelligent. I could make it sound like I was a genius because I saw this great opportunity and stuff like that. But it wasn't like that at all. So the brokerage company mainly employ white goods salesmen, car salesmen, and they go around and they sell dirt. They don't own the dirt. They don't own the trucks. Half of them know nothing about dirt, how to move it, what to do with it. So when they price the job, they're pricing it based on something that they have. But not all. Some of them are incredibly intelligent people, the sales reps of these brokerage companies in my city. But um, 
a lot of them are just, they see a seat, you know, because it's not coming up under a construction job. It's not coming up under that. It's coming up as a sales rep. So, you know, they leave selling computers and then they go sell cars and then they come and sell dirt and then they leave selling dirt and go and sell marketing packages. Because of that, they rock up and they just think that they follow this formula and anyone who worked in dirt knows that the formulas don't always work. You price a job one way and you you know, you end up with seven different outcomes, you know, with all of the different things of that you have to do. So I was getting pricing from these brokerage companies and they'd come out, they'd give me the price, and let's say it's ten dollars for yellow dirt. And then they'd come out there and they'd say, Oh shit, fifteen. The dirt's too yellow. Oh, twenty seven. You got brown dirt instead of yellow dirt. Hey, what do you do? You got, you, you got no trucks, can't move the dirt. These, this guy is standing in front of you who doesn't know shit from clay. And then he's telling you that now your price which was 10 and you got a quote before you were doing the job, before you were moving the... Now he's telling you it's 27 and you've priced it at 15 because you thought you were going to kill it and make 50% on the trucking and now you're going broke. So then I thought that... that I was probably 22, 23. I thought that's a... So I started organizing the tip sites and running one or two trucks on my little jobs, you know, uh, grading out a backyard for someone. Then when I didn't have the work, I started saying to my mates, oh, I've got this good truck driver. I'll charge you $85 an hour and I'll send you him for 80 And then slowly but surely one truck turns into two, two to five, five to ten. And then all of a sudden at 20, you put on a couple of office girls and then got invoices coming out your ass and so now all of a sudden you have to start sending them so you put on an accounts girl and then then you got to knock on the door from the what do you call we got nhvr over here which is like our heavy vehicle road compliance yeah cvor yeah and then you get a knock on the door from them and say hi you run enough trucks that we need to audit your systems your your procedures so now you've got a safety girl who works for you and then you got the phone rings off at the wall from 4.30 in the morning because truck drivers like to wake up early, bastards sometimes, real early. Yeah. Then you got to employ people in your office to take the phone calls because then you're trying to drive a digger and you're sitting there like this, all wearing headphones with cords and wrapping it around everything and them out of your ears 17 times a day before AirPods came out. And then all of a sudden you end up on 100 trucks a day and everyone thinks you're a genius. Well, not it, but... You run a hundred trucks, you're definitely not a genius, let me tell Yeah, like where you've kind of came from, you've carved out your piece. And, and I feel like when you talk, you kind of sound like you don't give yourself enough credit. And obviously, you know, like I have work harder tattooed on my arm and people are always like, that's dumb. You should work smarter. And I always go, well, I'm not smart. You know, I feel like that's kind of your attitude toward too. Like just work hard because I'm not smart. Hard work and loyalty beats, but work smarter and um, and no loyalty Every day of the week, mate. The guys who get up early and stay at work and keep on going, they're the ones you want. Not necessarily the ones that only do the eight-hour days and are willing to jump ship 50 cents all the time. Those two things together, you know, the hard work over years. And, well, now I'm coming up to, you know, a decade and a half or something. Hard work over years, getting out of bed, you know, taking on jobs, a little bit of risk, a little bit of that. Good money management and all of those sorts of things come into play. At the end of the day, if you're not working hard and you're still lying in bed and watching cartoons on a Saturday morning, the person who might not be as intelligent or might not understand as much or 
you know, might not have the training or the or whatever you might say, they're going to overtake you and leave you for dead. Yeah, I always say that too. I mean, there's people that, but you, because you need all, all types, right? I mean, you have A type, B type, and C type people. You need all three different levels um, because the C types, you know, they're working for you. And the A types are, are guys like us, you know, that are running the businesses and, and working seven days a week. It might be the other way around, though, boss. It might be the A types are working for someone else, and the C types are the insane people who put up with the amount of stress and bullshit. And then, we're actually seeing there, A. Hey, you never know. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, because, yeah, maybe we are the dumb ones because we're working seven days a week. I was up at 4.30 this morning, so they might have a job 10 minutes from home and get up at 6 o'clock and have breakfast with their kid. Yeah. Do you have kids? Yeah, I got one little girl. Nice. Same here. Yeah, we've got another one on the way, so that's exciting. That's kind of the motivation for me, at least now. It's kind of shifted. I like... uh having family and doing that sort of stuff. But I always say to my wife, I'm not the best father because I'm not around at all. It's very challenging because there's two different schools of thought. One is is that you can watch cartoons. The other one is you can provide them with stuff that maybe others can't and provide them with, I don't know, like there's words that are thrown around often like legacy and you can, you know, but all of that sort of stuff that comes with financial security backing whatever you want to say like you're working towards that and it means that you think that missing out on those cartoons on in the morning is possibly worth it but in saying that they might not think it's worth it but they might when they're 30 i don't know the right answer i don't think there is one i think you got to want to watch the cartoon you got to make sometimes you got to get there and watch them but you also got to get your ass to work yeah, I think a lot of the times, too, it's just like how I grew up with my dad. My dad was not super present. He was always working. Then that was always just like an argument of the house, right? Just like, you know, dad's never really home. And then that turned into dad bringing me to work. And that's why I am the way I am. And that's why I love construction. But at 12 years old, I can drive a 955 track excavator like this with my hands. You see? Yeah. No, I was having a blast. Yeah, I got to run machinery on the weekends. It was great. My daughter can can drive posi tracks and move excavators and drive dozers, and she's seven. That's cool. Because what else is she going to do? Like, uh, you know, you end up not having that many hobbies. You know, it's not like you see anyone saying that they live the best life in construction. When running a growing company or even an established company that still needs, um, whether it's the puppet master or the uh, the captain, I don't know which one you say that you are, but sometimes a bit of both. But if you still needed to be present in that business, then it means that you're not present somewhere else. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I feel like I'm I'm not either of those really. I, I hire people that are smarter than me. Yeah, that's, that's very good. I'm all on that boat about hiring people who are smarter with different abilities than what I've got. I'm good at moving dirt, digging holes and talking to people. Not so good at computers. I'm good at numbers, but not good at uh, making invoices and stuff like that. So it's a challenge. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Definitely me. I remember, like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not an office guy. The joke around the office is like, we just built a whole new office and I didn't even put an office in there for me. Like we have, we have 12 offices and I don't have one in there. And it's the weirdest thing when we explain that to people, but I don't need one. I'm bombing around in my truck or I'm in a dump truck or I'm in a piece of machinery. But that leads me to, I wanted to ask you, because when I reach out to you on Instagram, you're like, hey, yeah, no, like, this is Jimmy. And then I'll see stories, because like, you have, you have, a, you have a bigger operation. And I'll see stories of like, an excavator, and so you're not resharing it. It's like, an excavator, like, are you actually running machinery? 
Like, are you, are you, so what, yeah, what's your role? Because you mentioned when you were growing and then, you know, had to get a accounts payable girl and then, you know, like people in the office, what, what, what's your role? Are you moving and grooving? Are you in the office? What's your thing? Rather die than be in the office. I'm not an office man. I'm good at moving dirt. Why would you change that for something that I genuinely, genuinely am not that good at? I'm not the best at uh, driving machines anymore. I used to be quite good, but now I'm not the best at driving them anymore. But yesterday I was in a machine. Last day I spent three days in a machine. I'm good at loading trucks. I'm good at setting up jobs. You know, like some of these deeper holes, if we're 30 feet, 40 feet, and you're trying to get 30 trucks loaded from the bottom of the hole, it can be a challenge. That site set up to create those efficiencies can literally be tens of thousands of dollars. And you can change that with one meeting, with one drive pass. Now, it's more difficult. Now, we run sort of on an average day, 35, 40, 45 jobs, different jobs spread from, let's say, the furthest job that we do is a thousand miles away uh, in a different state. But most of our jobs are concentrated to within, let's say, 50 to 100 miles from the city in sort of the stretch, which makes it challenging because, you know, I do sort of. 60 something thousand kilometers in my car per year. I go to the site meetings, I do the setup, I do the talking, I run the operators, or I have an operations manager who also runs the excavation. I have sales reps, I have chief operating officers, and all of that sort of stuff. I share my office with uh, one of the operations managers of the trucking company. He's currently waiting outside to come in here. But as far as sending an email from a computer, I might do one a month. Yeah. We have meetings. I sit into the meetings. I got the information in my head. We have scope meetings, contract meetings. You get into the stage where you have lawyers meetings, accountant meetings, banking meetings. You have all of this sort of stuff. But I'm good at digging holes. So I'll stay digging holes. It's refreshing hearing that. These machines, they get in your blood. You spend so much time and so many hours of your life in the good times, in the bad times, in the stress you know, production is the answer to all questions. So when you're stressed out of your brain, you'd work more hours in the machine and it would literally fix the problem that you had, you know, if you could complete a job or, you know, you're going through a shit time of your life, you can't not go to work, so you're having a shit time in the cab. And so then it starts to feel like home. So yeah. go drive a machine and, and like you literally, it's like, it's a word, cathartic. It's literally like meditation on the right job, don't get me wrong, if you've got an asshole builder that's up your ass about doing something, that's not good because you want to throw a spanner at him. But if you're on the right job, there's no better place to be than driving some of these things. It's a, it's a very rewarding space to be, incredibly productive, immediately efficient. You know, it hits all the right spots rather than having, you know, a tense email backwards and forwards with a constraint you know, a contracts administrator that's trying not to pay you 50 grand because they want to get a gold star from their boss, but not know that, you know, if that's the money you've got to pay your bills with, you know, because, you know, they're in big multi, you know, we work for big multinational companies that, you know, have headquarters around the world. And yeah, you're sitting there arguing with them, you know, on some of these big, big infrastructure projects that we're on and they're trying to take the money, you know, but it's literally the money that you're going to pay school fees with or something like that or pay for bills or whatever or pay someone's mortgage who works for you and they're just arguing for the sake of arguing and I, that's not good for your head, if you're like me, I suppose. Yeah, but that's what makes it not easy and I guess that's why not everybody does it, right? 
Like, that's what I tell myself when the shit hits the fan or shit's going south or it just feels like everything's kind of just like you get that one bad client that's just nonstop. And I just I'm like, you know what? This sucks, but I hate it, but I love it. You understand what I'm saying? I love the chaos and the madness of it. So way, way just at the wish of spring that we, I don't know what the what they say, you know, like the winter spring in 176 years, but not as wet daily and whatever. So I have, and this is no word of a lie, and this is measured, I have 50,000 metres of mud. Not like joke mud. I'm talking mud, mud. I've got 50,000 metres of mud that I produced by trying to keep jobs working. It's scattered around my city on different job sites or different spots in different piles, you know, whether it's 10,000, 20,000, 5,000. I've got 50,000 metres of mud that I'm praying that it turns to be 40 degrees Celsius soon so that I can start processing it and drying it and picking it up. If this was easy and you made a heap of money all the time, literally every single person would do it. But then in saying that, I must be insane for some of the problems that you've dealt with and some of the stresses and the ridiculousness of saying yes to jobs that shouldn't happen and make time frames that shouldn't be there. You know, I have one job that the guy came to me on a Thursday evening about three or four years ago before Christmas, and he said the bank has its quantity surveyor, which is where they release the release, let's say, the mortgage over the property or the construction loan on the property. They, they got a quantity surveyor coming Monday morning. There were two basements side by side. One was about an acre. One was about three quarters of an acre, going down about 15 feet. He said, we haven't started dropping the three quarters of an acre. You drop that on Monday, I'll pay you all of it on Tuesday. Because he had, the construction loan hadn't been activated yet because you've got to get to certain stages of the build, you know, slab and then frame and then fit out. And then you've got to get to all of these different milestones to get the money. The milestone that he had to reach was that the basements were empty. He'd already paid for the concrete, for the shoring. He'd already paid for all the site establishment. He'd already paid for all of this. It was going to be Christmas time, and then he couldn't get this guy out to tick and flick it. But the problem was is I had 20,000 cubic metres to move from Thursday evening till Monday morning at 9 a.m. It was actually pretty fun. We ended up moving 14,000 on a Saturday of a job. We did an aggregate, I think it was 25,000 kilometres we ended up doing in the trucking company in one day. I destroyed the suburb of traffic. I think we had 70 trucks there, five machines, all loading, started at 6 a.m. Permit time says you're allowed to start at 9. But then that creates a whole other issue, which we won't say that we like to break any, you know, council fire laws because that will But why do that? But I immediately, yes, great. Oh, no problem. Come back Monday. This will be empty. Leave me alone. There's a special sort of something wrong up there to sit there and go 20,000 meters, mate. Got you covered. Let's get it done. Yeah, it's a thrill. It must be. It's like a high. It can't, it can't be for the money. Well, maybe this much for the money. I mean, it can't be for anything else. Maybe you just chase the success or bigger and better and or the loyalty that you have to the people to keep progressing so that you can give them more that work for you because that comes into it as well. Yeah. Somewhere there's got to be some sort of screw loose in any decent business owner's brain, even small business. 
there has to be a screw loose somewhere. I'm convinced. Well, especially working those kind of hours too, as well. And, you know, like you think boxing day and stuff, but I just saw a post on your Instagram and you made a story, I think it was like an hour ago asking, Hey, who wants to work midnight <laughs> boxing day this year? Did I read that right? <laughs> yeah. So, so what's with you and working boxing day? We got a job. So on top of the, the big bridge in my city, they take off one lane of asphalt and re-asphalt profile it. I've had the job about 10 years. It's a um, real-time sensitive job, and you go up there with mini excavators and you hammer it off. So it's actually really interesting. The um, It's actually a spring bridge. It's a uh, kilometre long. Well, it's 898 metres long from this spring where it starts. And they can't mill it off because it's only an inch and a quarter steel plate. And so when they scratch it, they actually have to fix this high tensile steel. When if you lay the hammer down across, you peel the asphalt off because you hit the glue. And because it's the main bridge in the city, they close it down at the quietest time, which is Boxing Day. And then they re resheet one lane every year and then they put these time frames on and they get every time I reach a milestone. So it started off at 48 hours and uh, now it's down to 12 hours. You just throw more machinery and men at it? More machines, more men, more trucks, walk up and down the bridge, see if you can get in your 25,000 steps in one night. You know, it's $5,000 an hour if you don't make it. Be finished by 7 a.m. or something like that, and they don't let you on until this year is going to be 10. The first things go on, and we'll be rocking and rolling by midnight, hence the post. And then you've got to be off in the morning. One year I was sprinting down the bridge because it's not like, a, oh, you were only three minutes over. Like your warrior can be companies, it's like you're meant to be off at that year it was seven. You're meant to be off at seven. You're off at 7.04. We weren't able to turn, uh, open up all of the lanes, five grand. And then they give it to someone else. One guy was like 15 hours over. And so in the last 10, 12 years, I've done it oh, probably, let's say 90% of the time. And every time they've taken it to someone else two times, the one guy went over by five or six hours and another, another guy went over 15 hours to the point where they had to be nice and not charging the hours. I'd never gone over. So they just give it to you now? Yeah, pretty close. Closest I've got is having to run, which I'm not a runner. I've got short legs. It's no good. (laughs) We are less than 100 days from the 2023 show. That's right. We are coming up on the largest construction family reunion in North America. Con Expo Con Egg is going to be here before we know it. If you have not registered yet, there's still time to secure your tickets. Visit conexpoconag.com and use the promo code PODCAST20 to get 20% off. That's right, 20% off with promo code PODCAST20. If you already have your tickets to the show, join us in the countdown to the show and comment below to let us know you're going to be there and what you're most excited to see. So we're finding the people then, that's a conversation. Like, So is your post, because like, how many people work for you? How many employees do you have? 50-something. Okay, so is that more of a like, hey, the 50 people that work for me, who wants to work? Or are you just like anybody that can run an excavator? Nah, nah, you got to be up there before. you got to have, but I've had a lot of people come through my doors over the years. And so the more people, throw them up there, we'll put another machine up there. Instead of each machine having to do 150 meters, each machine will have to do 100 meters. We'll finish early, bing, bada, boom, go off of the bridge and go and have some beers at the beach. 
but uh, so it was more putting it out there for anyone who has worked. We've already spoken to all of the boys and seen who's wanting to work, but we got another big uh, job that's looking like it's going to go uh, start on 22nd, have the main days off, and then back on the 2nd, I think it is, we got till the end of January to move 100,000. Yeah, we need a lot of boys available. So will you be there on Boxing Day? Bloody hell, why wouldn't you be there on Boxing Day? We've got to make some money. Good. I like to hear that. Yeah, I drive the machine. I tell the boys to race me, and if they can win and get more meters done, then I'll give them some money. Ain't no one got the money. <laughs> it's incentive. I like it. No, yet. Maybe this year. I'm getting a bit rusty. <laughs> That's good. I wanted to ask you a kind of a, an offshoot. Um, last year, you were at, uh, you were actually just recently in Vegas, but uh, you were at the Con Expo, last Con Expo in 2020, correct? Yeah. I've been the last few times before that as well. You like the show? It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And and not only it, like it changes what is actually important as your company changes. You know, like if you're running a few guys, like I probably only had 15 guys, 10, 15 guys out on site when I first went, you know, you're noticing new things and, you know, like you would have if you've gone, seen the emergence of the Encons and you've seen the new technologies that have been, you know, uh, brought about construction. You need to know about those things. There's something that you can sell. And and when you come down to, you know, building your company, eventually it comes down to selling. you got to sell it because before you get to a niche market, or, well, it's, some guys are in the niche market from the beginning, but for most of us, we're digging holes. Like that's what we're doing. You you have to provide the same scope of works as your competitor. If he's pricing to connect the water utility, guess what? You're pricing to connect the water utility too. And how do, are you going to set yourself apart? What new is coming out there? What's the best use of your capital? What's given, going to give you the best return on investment? Why won't you go somewhere? You know, once every three years in a fun place to be most of the time, unless it's four o'clock in the morning and you're not having as much fun as you walk your way back to a hotel room. But why wouldn't you go somewhere where you can see all of that and hear all of that and listen to people who may or may not be in the exact same thing that have found a slightly different way to attack it? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and then as you move on, you start to build relationships when, you know, I've built some great relationships with some brands over there and some met some great people that wow. look after machinery and stuff like that from around the world that have actually ended up helping me in procurement and all of those sorts of buzzwords that people use. But really, at the end of the day, I'm buying machines and they're selling them and they want to sell them and I need to buy them. So, you know, that, that's a relationship built in heaven if I've ever heard one. One last thing I wanted to touch on was um, I just want to know, like, Everywhere in the world right now, you're tossed, everyone's tossing around the world that the word, you know, recession and slowdown and this and that. I always like asking, you know, other business owners in different countries to hear their outputs on like, what's the workload like? You sound like you're super busy. And what's your outlook on, on, on that topic? There's so many different factors. I talk about it a lot. There's a lot of what we'd say legacy companies around that have been through the Great Depression and were busy guys, like flat out. The Great Depression, a hundred years ago when they were pumping, they went through World War, they went through, you name it, they've gone through the wettest springtime, the summertime, whatever, there's been floods and 
lizards around the world. Good companies are good companies and they'll make money. They'll keep employing people, they'll keep digging, they'll keep, I don't care if they're selling ice cream. The good companies selling ice cream, Ben and Jerry is delicious and they kept going through everything. I don't know how long they've been around, but you get the point. The point says that do a good job, spend your money wisely, employ good people, and your company is fairly recession-proof in the way you might have to pivot, you might have to move, you might have to take on different scopes. You know, the housing market crash, those companies that built them are still mostly around, and the people have found new jobs working for companies that survived the housing crash, survived the stock market, survived COVID, survived this, that. So I suppose my answer is we'll keep digging and we'll let the world do its thing. And hopefully there's enough holes to dig. And if the holes aren't in my state, we're moving to another one. And if the holes aren't there, I'm sure I can come to America and dig a hole over there somehow. You dig them ass backwards sometimes, I see. That's North America in hole. Come to Canada. That's, that's good, though. I, I, I don't think that a pea-sized thing, well, like we're, we're playing in a room financially with elephants, you know, and we're, we're running around and doing well or not doing well or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, inflation, recession, price changing, uh, material shortages, you name it, people have dealt with it in one way or another for the entire time the businesses have been around. There was a there was a banker with his head in his hands a thousand years ago saying the Crusades are screwing up my accounting, you know, and then you're going to sit here and we're dealing with different sorts of stuff. And we'll, we'll keep dealing with it. And if you focus on that part and don't focus on what you're trying to do or what you're doing, well, you'd never buy anything if you read the newspaper every day. You'd never buy anything. No, or go on Twitter or anything. Yeah, you kind of have to block that out. Yeah, you're not buying shit. You're not buying a house because the housing market's, a, you know, a bubble. Cars are too expensive. You, you, you can't buy fuel. That's through the roof. Outrageous. At the end of the day, you pivot. You know, change your pricing structure, um, have a meeting, sit down with people who know better than you do. And, you know, like they sit down with a banker and say, can I borrow some more money? And they might say, yes. They might say, hell no, you've borrowed shitloads already. Jimmy, calm down. And in which case, just keep trucking, you know, keep digging your hole. I think anyone who reads too much into it would just fairly much stagnate. And saying that, inflation is absolutely ridiculous. Some of my pricing structures have gone from Let's say for round figures, 30, you know, they've gone from 30 bucks a yard, 50 bucks a yard. If you don't like it, I'm not doing it. Yeah, it's crazy. Fuel is like the equivalent of eight, nine dollars a gallon. No, we're, we're, we're per liter too. So I'm, I'm paying two, I'm paying two dollars, two dollars and 20 cents for dyed. Yeah. We don't even have dyed. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no dyed. You just let you go for off road vehicles? No, 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 nothing. So well, I got a big tank, so I got to deliver it in a tanker straight from the refinery. But uh, that doesn't save shit anyway, because all of it, it's mainly made up of government taxes so that they can fly around the world in their private jets. Um, but that's okay too, because the world's always been how it'll be. Just keep going around in a circle. We don't have diet. It's $2. I think we've got up to $2.40 something a litre. You know, you got machines that use 500 litres a day, some of them, and then the trucks, and then, you know, I, I get fuel for some of the, the brokerage trucks and all of that sort of stuff, and feels like you couldn't. I'm a, I'd be a rich man if I didn't have to pay fuel. I know. That's how I felt at the beginning of the year when everything started kind of going up, and it was like, I've never seen our fuel bills that high, and it was actually like, 
you know, you'd come home at night. And my wife's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, man, I just can't believe these numbers that I'm seeing coming in, like our, our invoices for fuel and death. Oh, no, nah, then death and then the death shortage. I rang up my fuel guy and I said, listen, I need you to sell me. And he was, I think I got five or 7,000 litres. And I said, there's a shortage coming. It's all over the news. Um, and although I don't listen to that sort of stuff, only an idiot want to do something about it anyway. And he said, Jimmy, I can't. I think I asked him for 10,000 litres and ended up getting five or seven. And I said, I need 10,000 litres of death now. Like I've got, I've, so the overheads, the, you've got to think the overheads, I've got 15 people who work in my office running a brokerage company. If those trucks can't get death or ad bloom, then they don't go to work. My overheads remain, I have to fire them or I have to get dead. The jobs are still there. We're not here, but if no trucks are going to work because of it. So I rung up and I said, you got to have, no, nah, we can't do it. And he said, well, fine, I'm going to go and offer my however many tens and tens and tens of thousands of litres a month of fuel, of diesel that I buy, would you just come past the tank and send me an invoice like this? And we don't even know when you're coming. You, you, you know, it's linked up and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And you just come and fire off an invoice is expensive. I said, I'm going to offer that to all of the other fuel companies. And one of them is going to say, okay, I'll take that and I'll get 10,000 litres. And I know we've had a good relationship and you've done good by me and I've done good by you, but now I've got to be an arsehole and I've got to take my business somewhere else. And he said, funny that I just found six or 7,000 litres of death. You want that? And I said, absolutely. That I'll take that. And then it never actually went sky high and it never actually ran out. It never disappeared like they said it was. And the subcontractors didn't really want it. Now I've, I've probably only got a thousand or two thousand liters left, but it's taken a long time. Like, but I don't buy ad blue machines at all. I do not want ad blue. I think that that the so don't isolate it when it's purging. Make sure the tank's full. Don't use it old old drum. Only buy new drums. Make sure you clean the dirt out. And again. Make sure the wind's blowing from the west and there's a rainbow and then a unicorn runs past and then you can chill it. It's, it's too much of a sensitive product to be used in the environment that we have. It's not for purpose. Yeah. I understand in trucks, they can go to a cleaner environment than what they're working in and drive to a Bowser and chill it up with a clean nozzle and you know, they can have the tank and it's not as dirty as what we are. We're on job sorts and if a guy needs death and there's 10 other machines working around, just the particles in the air. You've got to drive through 10 acres of site to get there with a drum bouncing around in the back. It's not fit for purpose. Jeff is not fit for purpose. And these guys, they, I understand it's huge. I understand what we're trying to do with that. And I completely and wholeheartedly agree. Working and make it and running a construction company, which is fairly environmentally damaging, needs to be looked at and monitored and tried to change, but however, limiting carbon production out of an exhaust with a product that we need to make and, and then blah, 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 and all of that. I don't think that necessarily that they've got the right mixture, the right recipe for that, because I'm sure that you've had blue issues too. Oh, I mean, I lost three pickup on-road trucks, three pickup Duramax diesels last year for eight months, I had to get rid of two triaxle dump trucks last year due to death issues. The stinks, the injectors, the lines, the tanks, you name it. 
It's all wrong. It's not fit for purpose. It would have been easier for them to say, listen, we're going to sell you electric diggers for half price. I'd probably have a couple. Like, like, that makes no sense, you know, like, you know, only the random Tesla catches on fire, I believe, from what I've seen on the internet, you know, but it seems like everything that you put deaf in, everything has, has, you know, a conniption at some point in its life, you know, and then, and you can't fix it. I have one job, we're working on one of those high profile, big, you know, uh, time frame heavy uh, jobs and we had a pallet. And one of my guys drove it in. We filled up five machines and all five of the machines went down on a job two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I can't clear the code. So I'm calling up my dealer. I ended up having to get the GM out of bed, right, to get him to break. I said that I was going to break into the dealership and steal the laptop to take it and that he was going to fix it with the cops tomorrow. And he goes, you can't do that. I said, it's two o'clock on a Saturday morning. By the time people come in at the office, you know, it's going to be Monday. I'm going to be however much money in the hole. Plus, I look like a flaming idiot with five machines that have broken down because I've filled them up with ad blue that I have no idea why it's wrong. Oh, was it crystallized? I don't know. I'm not a chemist. Well, what do you want from me? Oh, the, the drum says ad blue. I put ad blue in and it made it stop and it made that one stop and that one stop and that one. And so they ended up coming to help and they did very well and I was very happy with it. But any any product that you have to take to the machine that has to be, you know, bought to it in like a cryovac chamber and like you have to keep it away from the elements. No. Yeah. Conversations like this uh, are stuff that I can sit and have multiple beers and chat with people like you about because we share the same issue and same love for, for deaf and tilt rotators. Which is what I'm, I'm excited to extend this conversation to Con Expo in March this year. And I'm super pumped uh, to see you there. And uh, we definitely have to continue this conversation. Thanks for coming on, Jim. I'm, I'm going to end it there. I mean, we've been we've been good and I want to hold off on some so that people we can continue this conversation at the actual show. So thanks for coming on. I don't know what day you. I think you're on the panel with me, aren't you? Or running the panel like you're a bit higher up the food than I am. No, you're above me, my friend. Yeah, we are. We're actually on the, yeah, me and, yeah, we're on the, yeah. If you're listening, we're on a panel together, me and Jimmy. Even though your thing says James Starbucks, and I've been calling you Jimmy. You said Jimmy was fine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Only my mom and the bank call me James, mostly when I'm in trouble. Okay, James. Well, me and James will be there at the, <laughs> we'll be on a panel together at Con Expo. Thank you for being on, uh, Jimmy, a.k.a. James. I appreciate it, and we'll catch you at the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Con Expo Con Egg Podcast. That is brought to you by our good friends over at Komatsu. We'll catch you on the next one. We are less than 100 days from the 2023 show. That's right. We are coming up on the largest construction family reunion in North America. Con Expo Con Egg is going to be here before we know it. If you have not registered yet, there's still time to secure your tickets. Visit conexpoconegg.com and use the promo code PODCAST20 to get 20% off. That's right, 20% off with promo code PODCAST20. If you already have your tickets to the show, join us in the countdown to the show and comment below to let us know you're going to be there and what you're most excited to see. 